A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Welcome to the Pole Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable resources and tools to ground your way to ultimate fantasy baseball success. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pole Hitter. You can catch me on Twitter at Dead Pole Hitter and the Pole Hitter Pod at Pole Hitter Pod. Today's episode, we're going to be diving into the NFBC Online Championship 12-team 30-player Fab League with an overall prize of $150,000, and our guest will be none other than the man who won that overall prize. Before I introduce him, I just want to let anyone know, if you haven't heard the Rotowire podcast yesterday, it was on with my friend James Anderson, and I announced that the Launch Angle podcast is coming back. I'm going to be hosting, taking the place of uh, Van Lee, who did a wonderful job with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman. And our first episode should be out next Thursday, and it will be on the original Launch Angle feed. So if you subscribe to the Launch Angle podcast in the past, it should be popping right back up into your feed as long as you are still subscribed. And I'm super excited about that, super excited to work with Rob and Jeff and um, lots of lots of fun stuff coming up in the future. So stay tuned for everything we have in tow. And yes, I'll get back to my guest right now, Mr. Andrew Geller. What's up, Guilds? What's up? The champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. Oh, hey, Rob. Sorry, that just came on my <laughs> you have me on there isn't that weird it's such a coincidence i love that that song though so yeah, thanks for having me on man i appreciate it what's up man congratulations on the big win man that's uh i know that's something you've been really aching to get and working hard to uh you know achieve and i mean what 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 an achievement it is right um you spend the whole season you know, with this thought of, oh man, if everything goes right, I got this shot at this awesome prize, right? And then as the season goes along, I mean, you tell us, like, tell us just the story of like the feelings that you had, because I remember when I won my draft champions, I was completely numb when it happened at the end. But even leading up to then, I was always, because it was my first year in the NFPC, so I didn't really understand how points swing. And I was oh. just like, I never accepted the fact like now i look at it i remember i had like a 900 point lead and yeah. now i know like oh yeah like easy peasy but my first ever thing like time in the npc i was like uh i don't know if i'm gonna win like so do you tell us like what were you feeling because i think that's my favorite thing to hear like what you know all that good stuff and the bad stuff too <laughs> 
Yeah, so that that team was was up there almost all year. Not not top five ish, but like I, I want to say like top twenty. I want to say for a good, I don't know, three quarters of the season. You know, it would drop down a little bit to the you know thirties, forties, even if I had a really bad week. But then it would kind of bounce back the following week. So I was always kind of teetering, you know, in that top tier of the team. So I know I had a competitor on my hands there. Um, and, you know, towards the end of the season, I, would kind of, I, I broke the top 10, you know, in the last few weeks. I was kind of around seventh, eighth, ninth round there. But I wasn't sure I had the bullets. Um, so a lot, I was just, you know, looking at my team and, and seeing what I needed um, to possibly make that jump down down the stretch. And uh, it came down to pitching for me completely. Uh, I needed ratios. I needed saves, steals. Those were the three big categories for me. But um, it's that second to last week of that season, that's where I really catapulted. I went from like, I think it was like sixth or seventh uh, up to first after that week. I just had an insane pitching week. It was like six wins. Uh, like a 0.9 ERA, 0.6 WHIP, K, like perfection. I remember uh, you. I think texted me that like your, you know, your stat line of that week, right? That was ridiculous. I, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was, it was insane. I was like, wow, that's that that that's an unbelievable week. <laughs> but I went for it too. I, I had a, I, I posted this on Twitter too, where I I spent my last dollar on Bryce Elder, and he yes. was he was pitching against the Nats, but he only had one start, I think, because they were, I don't know if they had a five-game week, six-game week, whatever, whatever it was. People thought he was going to line up twice, but he ended up only, you know, going once. Uh, but I still I still looked at that, and I'm like, you know what? The Nats suck. This guy's, you know, he's been pitching well. Screw it. This is my last bullet. I'm just going to go for it, put it on this guy, and he pitched a complete game shutout. My last <laughs> dollar in fab. So that was, and that was part of that second to last week. And it was just a ridiculous week. And then next thing you know, I'm in first place over that final last three day stretch. So that, that last week, two week period, it's exciting. But at the same time, you're like, you're stressing, you're watching every single box score. I knew, I knew every player on every team around me who was yeah, starting yeah. for them. You know, if their guy got blown up, you know, if their players got injured, I knew every roster probably in the top 10, top to bottom. So I was seeing what those teams, you know, needed. And, and, and I was not just paying attention to mine, obviously. I had to see, you know, how their guys were doing as well. So, uh, and Griffin, Griffin Banger, Banger, we were going back and forth. He had two teams in the top five. So me yep. and him were kind of DMing each other, which is kind of cool. Like, we're here we are going against each other for 150K. And we're DMing, like, you know, just, I wouldn't say advice, but, you know, just kind of like, good luck, man. You know, hopefully one of us takes it down. Just very, just friendly, you know, competitive talk. But... Uh, he's a great guy, by the way, too, Griffin. But yep. yeah, it's just cool, man. Like I love like, that part of it, dude. Like, honestly, I know Phil said he was in contact with Emmett Ruland, you know, when they were going down the stretch and were like competing and and was still reaching out. And and that's that's the best part of this whole NFBC thing, family, man. It's just really cool. It's so yeah. cool. Like I, I I would tweet him like, dude, I'm throwing Bryce Elder, FML, <laughs> like, you know, prior to him going out there, but it's just uh, – and obviously he's watching Elder and he's seen him pitch a complete game shutout. He's like, oh, oh shit. So uh, it's awesome. cool. Even even uh, the year before, I think it was uh, Curtis, I was texting with him. And we were both top, you know, top five or six in the OC. So um, it's just cool, man. And, you know, everyone you, – you see those familiar names at the top. And, uh, yeah, but to answer your long-winded answer there, it was 
it was exciting but also stressful as shit man that yeah was, because you 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 had the run two years prior in the right. top five as well so is there anything i know you said you paid attention to the other teams which i think you have to do is something if anyone who's listening and doesn't understand when you're in the race that overall, even in your leagues, you know, even in your specific leagues, just look around you because the information is there. See who people are rostering. I think that's my biggest thing that I like really, if you take that extra time to say, oh, if I just get, you know, I can't, I can't move up in saves, you know, it's, it's, it's six saves away, but check the teams in front of you because maybe they're throwing only one closer or maybe none, you know, and right. then, you know, it's more realistic, but yeah. So did you do anything different? Did you, um, did you add anything to like, okay, th these last two years, I maybe didn't look at such and such, but this year I'm going to do it. I'm really going to go in. Yeah. So this year, I mean, it, the prior year where I finished uh, fourth, I was, I definitely gambled a lot more towards the end game when, you know, I was trying to take that down too, but there, there was, I, was, I probably could have finished even second or third even then, but um, I was gambling down the, down the, down the end with two start pitchers that I should not have gambled on. Like, you know, there's a point when you, when you need to go for it and, and I don't mind taking those chances, but you got to take smart chances. So he, he, I think it was Matt Manning or something. He threw like two starts and I'm like, am I really throwing Matt Manning with $150,000 on the line? And I did, and he got blown up. So, uh, you know, I kind of got what I deserved there, but I mean, you got to take risks, but I think you got to take calculated risks and, I think I was a little uh, more dialed in this past year, and you know, while I was taking some some risky moves, I was I wasn't going like way out there where you know you just need crazy luck. So um, you know, look at matchups, that kind of thing. You know, look how pitchers been performing. You know, and, and team contacts, all that stuff, lineups. You know, end of the year too. You know, these pitchers like Bryce Elder. You know, he's facing September hitters on the Nationals. You know the 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 May hitters on the Nationals suck. So you, you know, imagine the September hitters. You know the young guys playing, and to me that was just a money spot, and and that you know worked out. But yeah, man, you got to like you said before, you got to be conscious of you know every team around you. And then I, I remember I was looking at the fab pick pickups of everybody in contention. Like I was going to their leagues. You know, you could scroll through the fab, and I was seeing what actual pickups they made. For their own team, so I just knew who you know who to keep an eye on for the, the final week or two there. So it puts you in a crazy mind state, man. You know, it's a lot of money on it. You yeah. know, it's three hundred and fifty dollar entry, and you know, it's one hundred and fifty k. You're walking, you know, you're playing for, and it's all the money's at the top. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty brutal. It is, it is, because you're. I always feel like I'm chasing some like more information after I find the information that I was really looking for. Um, I'm also like, well, then I'll look at this, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're always finding some other angle. Like you said, with the fab moves, I think it's such a great resource, like that's available to look at. And you just like, just go over there and I could see who you're picking up. I could right. see who anyone who plays the NFBC is picking up. And, you know, obviously that's not it's like, oh, I'll look at his pickups and I'll become a better player, but you know, my first main event league, I got smoked by guys like Rob Silver and Gecko and Phil. Um, and I watched, I made notes of the fab moves they made, you know, because I didn't see it. I didn't like, what are these, why are these moves so valuable? And I think you can just extract anything from people who are winning um, just to see the, you know, 
what are the things that they're doing? Like, oh, okay, it's 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 volume. Oh, okay, this that this fab is for two weeks in ahead for that Thursday, uh, Friday, Sunday double header. You know, yeah. like whatever, all those little things. I think it's good to pick up on that. But, um, so last year you um won and cashed in two of your six OCs, but you've had um career thirty four OCs. You won thirteen of them. So 39% and you cash in 65% of them, man. That's freaking fantastic right there. Um, how, how do you, I mean, how do you go forward from here? I guess my, that's my question. Like now you, now you hit that overall and you know, you have a good record in these leagues. Like, do you actually feel maybe not pressure, but just like something in your head? Like I'm just like more hungry now you know than you were previously i don't know if you have that feeling where you know i think maybe i mean i've heard you on podcast it seems like you're you're still thinking like that what else do i have to prove to other people right uh i hear that like kind of tone um yeah. but i'm like what do you think you have to prove to yourself going forward is there anything you need to do uh, shit. I, I mean i don't think i really have to prove anything you know the last i don't know i feel like as far as this contest at the 12 teamers i just you know i have a, a feel for that format yeah you really um, do man yep I, I think just building rosters team construction i just it just flows for me and i could just spot you know obviously you know for big teams too you do need some luck in these drafts where guys falling where, where they shouldn't have fallen whatnot but um yeah it's just uh it's just a feel i have for, for this for this format i think there's there's a way to capitalize on some of these players and value that drops that other owners aren't really paying too close attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, last night, I mean, perfect example of that too, with, with the Jordan falling to 19. I mean, that's probably gonna be the max, you know, the whole year, but shit like that happens if you play enough of these and, you know, if you're fortunate to be in one of those drafts, then, you know, you can't just, you know, that you, you got to capitalize on that too. You know, you got to make the yeah. picks later on. So um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't think there's much I have to prove. I mean, I, I'll, I'll have my daughters, you know, we know who they are and I think it's funny <laughs> to be honest with you. It's like, yeah, you know, the ones yeah. down to me are, are the ones that aren't the ones that, you know, top of the standings every year. And so, uh, you know, they could down me all they want, you know, to me, I'm the one that Greg sent that big check home to. So, uh, I'm mm -hmm. just keep doing my thing, man. You yeah, know? man. That's it. That that's all you got to do, man. Keep grinding and keep putting that work in and keep doing. There's gonna work. be salty people, you know, everywhere. But uh, <laughs> you know, people that know me in this community, like I DM with a ton of players and NFBC all the time. I'm always talking game strategy. It's like, you know, a couple people might not like me and whatever might have you know you know different views of how I am with people. But if you, I, I think if you ask a number of people in the NFBC that actually talk with me and conversate they, they would tell you probably i'm a pretty good guy and you know we definitely uh, enjoy talking game maybe maybe some people just look at the danny dimes photo and they just don't yeah. like danny dimes and then they associate with you with danny dimes dude i, I don't like this guy no nah, i think that you, you struck on something there because I, I do i was thinking about that not long ago i was looking at it and i'm like you know what people i i was talking about this on another pod i think it was a football pod actually but I think they people that don't know what he looks like or who he is, they equate, they think I'm um, that picture on my avatar, <laughs> and have, they have, they don't name, you know they don't know what uh, Daniel Jones looks like. So I think yeah, with the uh, with the persona, with the with the uh, bravado, and you know the 
you know, the cockiness, but, you know, I do it in fun and whatnot, but yeah, they, they put that picture with the persona and the tweets and it's like, you know, F this guy, but, uh, there, there's some people who are like straight bag the shit on Twitter and, and you can tell even with any semi-interaction with them, yeah. um, but then like you, you know, text people like the first time we started talking, I'm like, this, this guy's cool as shit. You know, <laughs> this guy, yeah, there's the honestly, guy. Was, yeah, he was just having a little fun on Twitter and some people can't take the heat, you know, and they get all pissy. About it. There's one guy who, uh, who has a real issue with me and we know who that is. And I think he's got issues with himself more than anybody else, but it is what it is, man. Like... He could keep on, you know, being salty, and I'm going to be uh, smiling over here. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about that overall winning team. Um, you had a 90th percentile in five categories and only below 80 percentile in one category, which was saves at 74 percentile. And I know you said that you had to work up on saves. So um I guess I, I've heard you on some podcasts talk about how you built such a strong team. Just, you know, if you could just give us a tour through like what what you hit on well and also what you grabbed on the wire, if there was a player in particular that really made that jump for you. Yeah, so I remember we had that big discussion in the offseason with closers, like team early closers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't on that team and I was pretty vocal about that. But and I And I still believe that, especially in, in these overalls, it's like, you know, you have to hit on guys late, you know, if you got to separate yourself from, from a number of these teams. So um, I got Romano, I think it was round eight in that OC. Um, I think I took Corey Knabel a couple of rounds later and then spec closers, you know, late teens. But uh, really, he was my only closer, Romano, for the entire, like, you know, legit closer, one. So, um, and I was talking to Bubba about this, too. It's like people say you can't spec or you can't fab saves. You can fab saves. People just don't want to, right? Yeah. I mean, they're there every year. You know, you just got to do due diligence and you got to. In 12s, they're a lot easier for sure. Oh, 12s. I'm, yeah. yeah I'm definitely 12. I'm talking here, but. Yeah, 100%. Right. I, you know, I'm, I, and I, I think that's. The, I'm sorry. I, but I oh. think that's the misperception is like most people talk. In, in, I guess, either 15 or 12 team terms, and they don't specify. And I think just that small, I think I even said it in that thread, like, oh, like there's just a little miscommunication on what league we're talking about. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We could get into that too. Huge differences between the 12 and 15. But yeah, just for the 12s, I'm saying, like, especially closers, they're always available there, whether it's June, July. Um, you get them for, you know, a few bucks here and there because you have teams dropping out of the competition. Um, you know, and they're you not also get a team that like has too many saves, right? And drop a guy like I did that. I had to do that in, in one of my leagues. I, I I took a look behind me and made sure, like, okay, can I drop this guy and a decent closer? You know, but I just had too many saves. I needed other spots. That's another thing too. Teams that don't need saves might be the teams that have money and aren't. You know, they're not bidding on closers anyway. So the right. longer you know, the further you get into the season, closers will become cheaper, rather than you know bidding or spending 400 in, in April, you know, you might get a guy that's going to give you a nine, 10 saves in, in June or July for $10. And that's what I did on this team. I would, you know, I had Leclerc, uh, I had a uh, Kennedy for a little bit, uh, who was Sir Anthony, I think was on this one for a little bit. You know, I was just rotating guys in and out, mm -hmm. um, just managed to get to that level that I needed to get there. You know, I wasn't elite in saves by any chance, but it was enough to contend there. Uh, but for this team, I think speed steals was like 
the major catalyst here. Um, I was for this team, I was way behind. I want to say like in June, I was probably like 600 points in the standings. It was the wow. only category I was like super, super low in. So I knew right then and there, I'm like, if this team has any chance to contend, not only do I got to pick up speed, I got to do it, you know, before a lot of my teammates, you know, pick up all these spec guys, Bubba Thompson's, Tyro Estrada was a guy I picked up cheap. Um, and just, yeah, O'Neal yeah. Cruz, who I drafted, I, I stashed, um, just waited for that speed to come. And, you know, sure enough, once, once I added a few of these guys, my steals took off and next thing you know, come end of the year, I was like elite in, in steals, but um, that was definitely the catalyst for this, that team to, to win it all for sure. If I just sat there and I didn't do anything about this, you know, steals, or I didn't put a lot of effort into, you know, researching, you know, these speed guys, there was no way that team was winning. Right. And then cause you know, then you have to look at the flip side of it too, right? What, Am I losing anything by adding Bubba Thompson? You know, he's not a surefire thing in a 12-team league to, you know, really, like, add his worth in the other stats. So you have to also yeah. think yeah. about that, you know. Good but, thing, though, on that team, too, I had a ton of power. I see oh, that in your overall me, percentile, yeah. You gave me that flexibility to, okay, you know, I had Alonzo, you know, I had uh, Goldschmidt. A uh, bunch of power guys on there. So I was able, it gave me that flexibility to, you know, play the Bubba Thompson's a few weeks here, a few weeks there. So, um, you know, it took a while, you know, it took a good two, three months to get up there in a speed category, but that's really, you need to be in these 12 teamers in the OC. You need to be across the board. You need to be competitive, right? You can't have yeah. one dumpster fire in, in the category because you're, you're not going to win it all. Absolutely. Um, and I know you mentioned Goldie, and Alonzo, I've heard you talked about it on pods that, you know, the Goldie pick was something that, you know, that that you didn't have to do and maybe might have hamstrung you flexibility-wise through the draft, but you, you were saying, like, it's just too good not to pick him here. And I think that's so – it struck with me because I'm very – I'm too stiff in my draft, you know. I get too, like, driven on this is what I'm – want to do and this is what i'm right. going to do i'm doing the air quotes and then like it gets to it and i have an opportunity to do something better but my stupid brain said you know but this is what i would this is what i wanted to do and then that opportunity comes and um but and you took it you know you took it even uh one oc my first one this year i had i took o'neill cruz in around six um I was light on pitching, but round 10 comes, I was targeting pitchers. I forget who it was there, maybe Hunter Green or, you know, one of these middle round pitchers. But then Dansby falls to the middle of round 10, like pick 113. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, I need pitching, but there's no way I'm passing up, you know, possible 25, 15 guy in round 10, 113 picks into the draft. So I took Dansby and then, uh, you know, I was just targeting pitchers after that. But I think, a lot of times people be like, oh, I have my shortstop already. I need a yep. pitcher. I got to take the pitcher. You don't have to take that pitcher, you know, take that great value that falls, you know, because a lot, you know, that's not happening in a lot of these drafts. So if you see a guy dropping like tremendously, take advantage of that. Worry about filling up your category or, you know, your roster, your, your staff, you know, uh, a little later on if you have to. But if you see a tremendous value drop like that, like he's not going to come close. To, uh, that's probably the max in the entire uh Torney right there. Um, yeah, just jump at those opportunities. You, yep. you can't pass on them. And that's kind of what I've done over the years is anytime I see just a crazy value fall, regardless of whether 
you know, that clogs up my CI or, or my middle infielder, I'm taking that guy. So, you know, don't let, don't let those guys drop to me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. And like I said, I, I, I'm going to duly note that and take that into my draft this year to try to become <laughs> just a little more flexible like that, you know, um, and become a little less stubborn, but it seems like um, just looking at your overall percentages of your six teams and the OC that like run stolen bases and saves and average were pretty good common stats for you. And it seems like when your team didn't do well was K's ERA and wins that kind of brought your team down. So I just wanted to see if you had anything you could fill us in. Like what did you have strategies to be strong in those categories? Or do you have like a tendency to look at specific spots that you want to be strong in and, you know, for the um, pitching side, what were kind of the things that like brought those teams down in terms of those ERA K's and wins? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I mean, for, for pitching, uh, I'm surprised that, that those because, you know, I'm usually an early pitcher guy, too, in most of these. I know this year is kind of it's it's turning, you know, upside down almost. And it's, like yeah, it's world. so crazy, man. You get an ace is like round four five, six. It's like, like, why am I taking Cole or, or Burns in the first round? You're not. But um, yeah, that surprised me because I do. Uh, I like to get that that base of K's and you get those with those early pitchers, you know, the Cole, the Burns. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what happened there and wins. You know, I try to target pitchers on good teams if possible, you know, especially mm -hmm. I'll use it as a tiebreaker or something, but um, having said that, I love Sandy this year too. So I can't be too crazy about wins, but I mean, if there's a tiebreaker here and there, I'll, I'll you know, I prefer the pitcher on the better team uh, for, for the win upside. But, yeah, I don't really know uh, what happened there. Usually it's usually my pitching is stronger than my offense most years. So I mean, it was just kind of a wacky, wacky occurrence there. Mm -hmm. um, and what about for, like, do you prefer, like, a specific type? Um, do you focus on average? Do you try to make average strong? Um, what's your, like, go-to yeah, I guess ideal like yeah, like prototype player. So so average is like the one category like I probably care least about in fantasy. Okay. Just because it's fluky, right? Year mm -hmm. to year. I mean, not for everybody. Obviously, you know, we have perennial 300 hitters. You know, we know Luis Sarais is gonna hit 300. McNeil is gonna be around 300. You know, a good hitter is a good hitter end of the day. But uh those guys in the 230 to 250 range, you know, you'll see these production projections and they have them, you know, 227, 230. You know, it doesn't take much for that guy to hit 245, you know, 248, which, you know, in today's game in fantasy, this climate, that's that you're fine there. Yeah. Right. Um, so to me, it's it's like I, I don't mind taking those gambles on, on guys. Uh one guy that comes to mind is Adolis, Adolis Garcia from last year. I mean, that was the concern everyone had. And, and you know, he was going to be an anchor and a batting average. And he, he dropped like crazy far. I know he, he was coming off the one year, the one season only. But, you know, he had the power. He had the speed. Uh, but owners were just deathly afraid that he was going to sink the team in batting average. Uh, and to me, those are the kind of guys I like going after. It's like, you know, what do you hit, 250, 255? It's like, if, if it's not a Joey Gallo type you know you know i mean that guy you know gary sanchez these guys are going to hit 200 210 um but to me unless it's you know one of those just known anchors that's going to kill your team in batting average i don't mind taking a little risk in that category for sure especially if there's speed and power upside there 
And that's why O'Neill Cruz, I love. And I know a lot of people, you know, are against, you know, are afraid of that average and you can't hit lefties. And that dude is just a freak, man. I mean, like, how do you watch that guy play and not, I don't know. That's a guy I want, like, on every one of my teams, I think, this year. We'll see. I mean, not every one of them, but a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. Yep. No, I mean, you I get it. guys with that kind of rare talent, I mean, with, you know, those are the, the players I like to, to bet on for sure. I mean, he could go 30, 30, you know, if he hits 240, I'm okay with that, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, you and- just got to grab those batting average, you know, um, protection later on in drafts. You know what I mean? So there's yeah, just- Justin Turner, Jeff McNeil, those kind of guys. I mean, you, it's, you just got to balance it out too. And, that, and that's another thing. It's like, people don't, they don't balance their rosters enough. I feel like, right. So I feel like you're, you're, you, if I'm going to take a riskier guy with that profile early, I know later on, I have these players I'm targeting that I know I need to get to balance that out. So um, yeah, I don't think owners do that enough in these leagues. Yeah. And I think what you said about average is kind of too, I always felt like, you know, what is it? Like, I think it's, um, one hit a week uh, or like 15 hits that can sway a, a batting average, like 30 points Oh yeah, for like a 550 party to parent sample. Um, don't take me for those exact numbers, but you know, the, it's, 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 it's not much. It's, it's not, not much, much to change it. And also to like, just be aware of the kind of guys you have on your team. Obviously you don't want, you know, if you want to go the Joey Gallo route, you know, just make sure you don't have another, Joey Gallo route, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and he just those are the things to kind of be aware of. If you have some like two good guys at the top and one anchor who's going to drag it down, just and you got some volatile guys in the middle, like yeah, you can end up eighth in batting average, or you might end up at fourth. You know, very yeah, actually, you know, um, yeah. I'm not suggesting. Yeah, I don't want to come off like I'm suggesting you're taking you know six, seven guys that are two thirty hitters and just hope yep. they hit two fifty. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you got to pick your spots, right? You, you know, you could have a Matt Chapman here, you know, uh, an O'Neill Cruz here. You don't want to go too crazy, but you know, you get two, two or three of those guys, uh, and you should be fine. You should be fine. Yep, absolutely. Um, I did do a snapshot of the 80th and 90th percentile from the last two seasons, and it's pretty interesting what happened between 21 and 22. Um, the 80th percentile for home runs went from 338 to 293. 90th percentile went from 353 to 306. Uh, stolen bases went up in the 80th percentile, 127 to 134, and the 90th percentile, 139 to 146. And it's crazy how the power and um went down and even as plate appearances and at bats rose the 80th percentile for plate appearances was 7436 or 7436 and this year was 7538 so a thousand um a hundred more at bats and uh a shit ton of less home runs um i just wanted to see your opinion on like how do you think it's gonna fall this year and you kind of try to use that I guess, gauge of last year to like kind of, you know, maybe put more emphasis on specific categories or less. Yeah. It's interesting too. Also with the ball, right. Didn't they, I know it was like a dead ball for a while, but then people thought they changed the ball right later in the season. We saw this, the home runs pick up right towards the end of the season. 
Um, I think we're probably going to see more towards the end of last year where, where the offense picks up again. Uh, and, you know, with these new rules, I'm sure we'll talk about it too. I, they want to see, you know, more offense in the game too, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that it's the, the homers went down that much, uh, that much from year yeah. to year. Yeah, that's a lot, you know, yeah. because then that that kind of just, you know, I don't know. I just try to do like mental exercises. If I could just put more importance on getting, you know, an Aaron Judge or Kyle Schwarber to like differentiate yourself from the crowd, but then also knowing that everybody else might be taking that same route, right? So right, then right. what do you do? You keep pushing up a Kyle Schwarber, like is he just gonna get into the third or fourth round because everyone wants his 40 homers. But by the by the same token, if the target is then lower, right, then you don't need as many to contend there as well. Correct. Right? So exactly. it's like a catch 22. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it just adds another level to it um, about fantasy baseball, you know, pursuit. And like you mentioned, the, the ball, it's just, we won't know. That's right? the thing. We, yeah. we don't know. And it could just change everything. We're assuming, you know, um, I know it's that it's going to be the same ball. And now they're just, we went from COVID year and then, okay, uh, the projections or the skill sets on guys changed. And then it's like, okay, um, but now we have to see what happens in 2022 because now they've had a full year of, uh, you know, of that bats and rest and a normal training thing. So how are they going to do this year? Now it's like, oh, there's four new rules. <laughs> it's like, it's just, uh, just, it's just adding more and more layers to, um, you know, I, I'm kind of, um, I'm definitely aware of what's happening, but, um, like I don't have something that I could punch into a super computer to give me the answers. Yeah. And in moments like that, where I'm just like aware of it and I'll take note of some players that I think that might impact some builds. But I also think it's that chaos is chaos is a ladder. Like um, little finger said on game of Thrones and it's like, <laughs> well, while everyone may be doing these crazy things to figure it out, maybe this, the best path is to make you guys do that. And I'll just, stay in this simple lane that I'm in and, you yeah. know, and, and, and who knows, you know, um, it's interesting. It's definitely going to be a lot of interesting approaches. I think, especially like when we ramp up to really start to get to spring training and, you know, main event season, I think I'm interested to see what kind of approaches a lot of uh, smart people will take in those kind of drafts. You know, we might see some builds that we've never seen in previous years, you know, which is, which is really, really all fun, you know. You can see like ten pull hit, uh, pull lefties in a row for for one owner, just playing that whole shift, you know, uh, you know, no shift yeah. rules, and you know, and stuff like that. Again, yeah, kind of to your point, it's like I don't know for fantasy wise, I don't know, I don't think it's going to let me affect my uh, research too much. I don't want it to sway me in any one direction, I guess, but. I mean, if it's sort of like a tiebreaker or something and, uh, you know, you know, one guy I could think benefits from his shit, but part of me is like, also everyone's going to benefit from it. Right. So, and then conversely pitchers, you know, ground ball pitchers, you know, it's going to affect them negatively. So correct. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much I guess, but for fantasy purpose, I mean, purposes, I don't think I'm going to let it be too much of a factor if I can help it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to just, apply if you try to apply a universal 
like um model or figure i guess to the holy could probably go a little wrong there i think you just got to take it case by case some guys yeah. are very specific you know uh, yeah, okay sure he sh gets shifted on a lot but does he hit a lot of pulled ground balls you know does he you know how did he do like i always wondered in my head like everyone's doing the sh like the numbers you know with the shift but how about figuring out like what they did without it you know like because sure a guy got shifted on 80 percent of the time but let's look at what he did in those 20 percent that he wasn't you know yeah um, the trauma is they they the the uh sabermetrics are so strong i feel like they they were shifting that guy like almost 100 percent of the time he was yeah. you know, every, every game you watch on, on tv you see that you know it was just a natural shift move for players so yeah it'll be interesting and, you know and then, i mean there's going to be some unicorns where you know they yeah. It affects them a lot, you know, greater than other players. But yeah, uh, I think it's anyone's guess right now at, at this point. And like the ground ball pitches, like you mentioned, like, and then are you going to favor the, like the quote unquote smarter teams? So the Astros, yeah. So you, Framber, a lot of ground balls, right? And he's, you know, and he's a lefty. He might mitigate it a little bit, but do you just say, oh, I trust in the Astros to get the perfect Right. Defensive, you know, like, right. you know, how far do you go with, you know, where you go with that assessment of the players? And again, this is all all awesome things that I love about fantasy, right? Because who knows where your mind goes? And if sometimes you land on something where you, you're like, I don't know if this makes sense or not, but it kind of makes sense to me. <laughs> so yeah. I buy my own narratives a lot. I don't know about you, dude. Well, you can start just drafting like all fly ball pitchers. I mean, and stuff like that. It's like, you know how far you want to take it, I guess, is really yep. the question. But, you know, these pitchers are also going to attack these hitters differently, too. So as people keep talking to pull, you know, the offense, the batters, I mean, pitchers are going to react to this as well. So, I mean, it's kind of a chess game back and forth. So uh, I'm trying not to overanalyze these rule changes too much. Um, you know, they can have the biggest impact. Oh, man. Um, I think it's going to be the schedule. I was thinking the schedule too. Although the pitch clock to me is interesting. That is right. Because, you know, there's a lot of pitchers out there. Cole comes to mind. Who's like a maniac, like mentally. It's like, now you're putting a pitch clock on this guy. I mean, he's got, you know, he, he needs to be in like a perfect mindset. Like every star, any like little like disruption, like his whole game is off. So to me, a guy like that, even though he's a veteran and, and it's like, it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that kind of stuff. And, you know, pitchers that normally take a lot, you know, a lot of time, is that going to affect them? You know, their delivery, you know, um, their mindset. So to me, that's, that's interesting is the pitch clock. Um, the bags, I don't think is going to be too crazy. Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you could steal a base, if you're a good base dealer, you're still going to be a good base dealer regardless. I think so. They say, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, there's a lot of quote unquote bang, bang plays. And yeah, sure. There are, you know, in four right. inches, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, um, but, you know, I think it's going to make a, a little bit of a difference. I mean, because I always say how those those stupid mitts make a huge difference, too, and they slide in with a 14-inch long mitt, and you're yeah. like, wait a minute, is that the mitt that's safe or is that his hand? I, I, right. I always ask myself that question. Who is safe, the mitt or the hand, you know? Oh, man, it drives me nuts. But, you know, I had, I had on Jeff Pond, who works for – baseball america on he was talking about the pitch clock thing and he was saying how like a lot of pitchers have a tendency to like kind of drift on the mound or even people in in general and he thought like he saw a lot of pitchers do better because they had less time to 
really worry about anything else. They stayed like centered. They stayed, they okay. got the ball, took a deep breath, got the sign and threw, you know, and they stay more in a zone. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I never thought of that. And that's kind of interesting. So pitchers can just find, I guess, that um, because and it's also on the flip side, too. It's, it's also the batter that has to feel that pressure. Because sure. now, you know, like, what if you face Kenley Jansen, like, 15 times, right, or 20 times, and you know his tendency, but now you get up and you don't know when he's going to throw it. He just steps and throws, like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. That's a different, you know, like, that's a different approach. So <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no, know. definitely. Yeah, that's I, that's true, though. The the, the other side of, of that coin is, you know, it kind of maybe takes away some of that mental pressure that some of these guys feel right and they're yeah. like, all right just get it and throw you know and you know we'll see like i said this is it's like everyone's gonna wait and see how this all plays out so it's gonna be so cool man yeah. there's gonna be a lot of un like underreactions when it starts and a lot of overreaction right oh yeah sure. someone's gonna there. steal someone's gonna steal like seven bags in week one <laughs> And then every stolen base guy that pops up is going to be coveted. And it could be just like a, a random thing or, you know, people getting used to it. And that's the thing, right? So, okay, so how do we, we react in that first month or week? Right. Is it just because they're all getting used to it or is it the way it's going to stay? It's it's so cool, man. Yeah, I think for the good base stealers, right, the guys that are stealing a ton of bags, I think it'll help them even more, right? Because there's going to feel so. that confidence to steal. The guys that aren't, you know, that are the five, six, seven steal guys and aren't good base runners or whatever, I don't think they're going to all of a sudden be like turn into 20 steal guys. So I think it, it probably helps the elite, the, the upper echelon of base stealers, and it does the, the lower if I had to I think so. I think so. Because yeah. as much as as much as you might say, well, there's more of a buffer for them to go. And I know teams are very, you know, they have their sabermetrics. They know, okay, it's uh this guy is two seconds of the mound. The pop time is this. So this is what we have. But also there might be some teams that go, it's still not worth it to him to take those extra chances. Right. But to me, yeah, a guy like Tommy Edmond, who's like, I could steal on anybody. Now might be like, forget about it. Like exactly. I'm, right. now yeah. I'm stealing on everybody, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a guy. That's a great example right there. Yeah. I could see him, you know, stealing 40, 50 bags this year. I mean, if. Right. Jake, Jake McCarthy too. Like who knows yeah. if, I mean, that guy stole 18 bags in limited time and he made it look easy last year. Um, and he dealt with those rules, I believe last year. So in the minors before he came up. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be a a lot of that too, like trying to maybe indicating it's like people who are coming in to the league who were used to it, you know, and they're coming in with uh, a little bit of a head start. And then you have all the guys who are going to go to the World Baseball Classic and not get used to the rules and spring training, right? And they're going to come back from spring training, have to learn it in like a week or two. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like the Mets have a ton of guys going to the WBC, like a lot of other teams. And it's just going to be interesting. I wonder how those spring training battles go like when like your rival like you know like if you're battling for a spot and the guy who you're battling with is not there like are you gonna feel less pressure you're gonna feel more pressure right it's 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 gonna be cool man there's a lot of there's a lot of layers this year a hundred percent what do you think uh not to derail you our Mets this year are you excited are you confident I'm excited yeah of course yeah I'm I'm excited and confident I guess my so my biggest gripe is swapping Bassett for Senga. Um, not, really? Not, 
Okay. N- not that I don't like Senga. I don't know him personally. It's nothing against him. Well, Bassett just crumbled down a stretch, man, last year. That's why he left a bad I know. <laughs> I know. But I guess, I I mean, he also really was locked in for a lot of the season, yeah, too. No, he, he was, was really good. Yeah. And I just like the way he meshed with um, Scherzer and Hagram. He just seemed like he was on their level, like, yep. in, like always He's talking with them. He's a good guy, good clubhouse guy, yeah. 100%. Um, and I guess, too, any guy who gets smacked in the ball, like smacked in the face with a line drive and comes back, like, yeah. with the with the balls he did, like, I kind of like those gamers. Yeah, so. no, I definitely liked him. He was a likable guy. Senga but, if Senga, but if he lands us Otani, then everything is moved. Uh, because yeah. I think that's the extra bait. I think it's, let's get this guy. He can re- a be really good and B maybe he can help Otani come to New York with a little bit of leverage. Like, Hey, you know, um, come let's go. Let's do it. I heard, uh, something that somebody was saying or read it maybe where if they, if they sign Otani, right. The tax on that, it would cost him on top of his salary. <laughs> let's say it's like 50 million a year. The tax would be like a hundred million or something. So he'd, he'd be paying like $150 million for Otani every year, basically. Just Jesus. to have him on a team, but they they sell out City Field though. They set out City Field and oh, he's a Met. Hunt, lock lock it up, lock yeah. it up, baby. Oh, he's a hundred percent a Met. There's no doubt in my mind. So no, him, Lindor, and and oh, I and can't wait. Bear. Oh my God, and, I, and Nimmo. Oh. They got they got to extend Pete too. So I'm, they I'm, do have to extend Pete. Hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. That needs to be done sooner than later. Um, and I saw some comps with him too. I thought it was pretty low because I guess they were comping him to uh, whatever Olsen guy. But yeah, because when you see what, what Judge just got, and then you saw for Pete, it was like two hundred and ten million over like six or seven years. I'm like, for for Pete, that feels that feels low. He just seems like the type of guy too who'd be like, I don't care, guys. I want to be here. Like yeah. he'll take he'll take not one for the team. He'll take five <laughs> of the team. No, I'm serious. He's like. Uh, and I'm not saying anything about those other guys like Judge or anything, but yeah. Alonzo, I mean, we've been following him for a long time. The guy's just a, a standout human being. He, yeah. He's just, he's a, you could tell that I think he loves New York. He loves I the love attention yeah. and he wants a win. And I wouldn't doubt that he'll shave. He'll give a good discount. If not like, you know, the, you know, the super brave discount of like the cheap right. guys. Right, but right. I think, I think he could stay in a, in a zone, like in a section where it allows them to, if he, if he goes up, I bet you that he says, if we got to go in Otani here, I'm willing to work around that or anything, you know, I, that's Pete. I, I I just think that's personally what he, he would do, you know, or Steve Cohen's just like F it. Um, we're F it. You can get that dollars. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Pete? Here's your blank check. So it doesn't matter. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one quick thing before we move on to the next topic Um, with the 80th, percentile stuff i also noted that like innings pitch went up as did k's and wins which is interesting because like more of the innings pitched are moving to relievers you know from starters and i just wanted to see like your opinion on why you think that those kind of bumped up um per se you know with even with like less pitchers going longer in games so you think that teams are rostering more pitchers and they're just like starting better pitchers on their teams or i mean it's a pretty it was a pretty mm. decent jump you know um the k's you know the 40th uh the 80th percentile um sorry uh yeah the 80th percentile dropped but the 90th percentile went up which is pretty interesting um 
What what do you think is is that is responsible for that? That's interesting because I would have guessed the opposite, to be honest, right? Because like yeah. all the all the starters now are going, you know, five innings, maybe six for the most part. You have your like unicorns like Sandy out there. Um, but yeah, that's interesting to me because you know it's rare you see a guy go into the seventh, eighth inning, you know, of these games. Um, you know, the bullpens are becoming a lot, you know, more of importance in baseball. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure to be honest. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting little. That's why I'm just segue, but that's why I love Sandy too, man. And it's like the guy's a workhorse, you know, 228 innings he pitched last year. And I know uh, a lot of the, the fantasy crowd is kind of down on him this year. You know, he needs that volume, you know, and those ratios. But um, I think it was like six or seven guys only hit 200 innings last year. I mean, it was such a rare feat. And this guy went, you know, he blew by that. And back-to-back years, 200-plus. So, I mean, that's a guy I'm targeting in all these drafts. Like, I'm going to have a ton of sanity if people are passing on him. I just believe in the stuff. The ratios will be there, I think. And if he's putting that volume up, he's going to get you those Ks. You know, it's not going to be 230, 240. He'll get you 200, right? So, yeah. Um, and, and that volume, too, if you get those ratios over that, those volume of innings, that's just even, you know, that's a, that's a bigger deal, you know, than anything is that you're getting such a, a large sample of good ratios. It's really uh, impacts your, your total team standing. So, um I love Sandy too. The only thing down down on them is the Marlins. You know how many games can they possibly win this year? So, you know that win upsides is pretty low. But um, I'm going to have a lot of Sandy from the looks of it. But we'll see. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I still can't pull the trigger on him. I'm I'm still a little concerned about the K rate and also too. Um, but he's pitching so many innings. So you. But but you I think the, the innings, con- so. yeah. I, I think the concern is and like is the expectancy that he'll keep working deep into those games all the time, because right. yeah. even if you shave off a third or two third um, per inning and, and, and that's with things going extremely right. Like he did keeping up his strand rate, keeping up everything. Right. He's yeah. beaten, like he's completely beaten his estimators a hundred percent. And maybe he's just that guy, like who can do that. But I think Dryas just, is another guy like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, they always yeah. beat the projections. Yep. And, and yeah, I mean, that's just another whole thing with the Dodgers they're like they control Babbitt so great and I don't know how the hell they do it uh, I've heard you know Saris try to break it down and he can't break it down so if he can't break it down I can't break it down <laughs> I know that for sure you know so but you know it's just Bueller um, was the same right Walker Bueller also yeah it's- yeah Gonsolin yep, yep yep but that could be a shift thing or who not you know who knows but again it goes back to my whole thing about the 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 best analytical teams, you know, they're going to, they're, they're going to be the first ones to find the edges in these new right. rules anyway, right. you know, um, hundred percent. Um, so what is your best advice for anyone just getting into a draft, um, getting to an online, cha- um, championship 12 team league, you know, I guess just give a breakdown, like give anyone who may be trying a new one, um, first timer, you know, what's, what's the step that you take to formulate a draft plan. And then also, I guess you could kind of like, advice for fabbing too and you know maybe how they go hand in hand as well yeah sure i I think my advice too is is i never really go in with a set plan in these drafts um i kind of let the draft dictate you know to me you know how i build my team and i kind of react off of that so i feel like a lot of owners go in there with like a a mindset oh i need this by this round i I need this many pitchers i need i need my first baseman locked up but I don't do any of that. Right. I mean, you know, I have my, 
projections I use. I'm tracking my categories, my stats while I'm drafting and whatnot. But um, yeah, you, you want to be able to react, you know, very quickly in the draft room. You want to be able to, to understand the owners around you, what they need around you. Um, you know, sometimes you might have to gamble on the draft, you know, pass on a guy that you might want. Um, just to hope that he comes back to you like in the next round, right? If you might need to fill another need. Um, I feel like a lot of times owners just see a need and they're like, they go, boom, I have to, I have to lock this guy up right here, right now. Uh, but you can possibly get that guy at a later cost, right? Better value. So, um, yeah, I would just say don't go in there with a set plan. Uh, balance, balance is always like primary for me. I'm always balancing out my rosters. If I'm heavy in one category, I'm adjusting on the fly, you know, uh, to where I need to pick up the pace. Um, and yeah, and, and like I said earlier, is like if you see if you see values that drop, regardless of position scarcity uh, uh, or where you locked up positions on your roster at that point, take that player, take that because that player could be a difference maker, uh, and you'll have to adjust later on in a draft. Worry about that later. So um, yeah, just kind of take what the draft gives you. Um, definitely have your targets, right? I mean, there's some guys, I don't just, you know, I'll jump guys in ADP if I really think they're mispriced. So it's not that I'm just waiting for guys to fall. Um, there's definitely targets I have going into drafts. Um, but at the same time, you kind of be, you got to be mindful of, of everything going around, you know, around you in a draft room and, uh, just don't be so tunnel, tunnel vision on your own team, right? Mm-hmm. See what other teams need around you, see what they don't need, and then kind of use that to your advantage if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's a huge point. Cause it's, you know, it's kind of easy to do in a slow draft, you know, when yeah. you kind of come up and you're on, you know, you're picking before the wheel or a little bit and you see, all right, well, these guys have this and this, so I'll go this way and hoping to get that. But then that also can bite you in the butt too. If you don't go get your guy, if you try to get too cute, because then you'll, you'll have a player like you who says, I don't care if I got Alonzo, I'm going to pick Goldschmidt. And then right. your whole plan goes out the window. Uh, but yeah, in, in the draft, make sure whatever you need to have that you like, if it's a spreadsheet that you're used to the spreadsheet, it's not something that you just downloaded yeah. off a website and using it for the first time. Like make sure if it's yours, you know exactly where to go for everything and um, you know, keep it streamlined in the draft for sure. What I do also, I wonder, and maybe it helps other people too in Excel, or I'll always have the previous like winners um, finishes, you know, their standings in each category. Mm-hmm. So while I'm drafting, you know, I have all the formulas on up or whatever, and I'll, and I'll put that against where last year's finisher finished. And you're never going to come close to those numbers, obviously, right? Because, you know, that's, again, I'm using projections as I'm drafting. So when you put in those projections, you're not going to come close to the number one overall winner. So I could put my name, my own name in, in the spreadsheet for last year. Boom. Look at Gilles that. 20, yeah. But, uh, team. Yep. Yep. But it just helps you kind of keep pace of where you might be falling low in throughout the draft and, and what you need to kind of pick up the speed on. And um, it's just, Absolutely. it's just like a tool that you could use and, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but just kind of gives you a little bit of a guide and helps you balance your rosters as you move along. Absolutely. And and like balance in a way that's just rational too. Um, you know, and that's why I love, just love having the 80th and 90th percentile stuff up because if you just land in in that range in every category, you know, you're already top two, top three in your league and, you know, hopefully in a good spot in the overall. And then anything you need to turn on, you turn on. But it's also too like, um, 
if you're, you know, 30, like 22 home runs away from your target, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm looking for this 22 home run. Right, guy. right, right. You yeah. know, like it's, it, it's mostly for if you have three spots left on offense and you know, like you'd like to get to 120 steals and you're at 30, you know, you <laughs> fucked up. You know, that's right. what it's mostly for. Like to see the, the red flag, not to see the, oh, I need to really like nail this last 12 RBIs. You know, no, it's to really early in the draft and you're seven batters in out of the 14 when you're like, oh boy, yeah, I need to, I need to do something. Right. Else. It'll help. Yeah. Point out the, the glaring like weaknesses for sure. And even like in season two, you know, I do a lot of tracking against the overalls, you know, more for like fab pickups and everything, but I'll track every team of mine, every category, and it's all coded, you know, red and green where I'm, you know, where I'm trending in each category, you know, against the overall leader. So I want to know where my team really needs to pick up the pace. Cause it's one thing in season in your league to, to pick up some category juice, but I want to see how far my deficit is against the number one guy. You know, whether my team's in 800s place or or 300, um, just to see exactly where I'm, I'm, tra- I'm trailing uh, that overall leader at that point. And that just helps me with fab and, you know, what I need to target for that specific team, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I do the same thing. I don't take the, spe- like the top person, per se. I just take, like, the, the in-season 90th percentile. Right, just right, see, right. You know, because I think both approaches are pretty much – the same i mean unless someone up at the top is really kind of weak in something which is kind of probably won't happen but um like you you know you had a 74 percentile on save so maybe that's not a true indication of what you need to get to but you know it's still it's still a baseline of understanding how do i put together this team that can win that much money you know and i think it's important and then and then in season two it's huge like put together like that's that's a great that's a great tab on the NFBC, that team stats tab, you know, you can, oh, yeah. yeah, man. Like, um, there's so much stuff on the NFBC that you could utilize and you, and you hit that drop down on stats, you go to team stats and you get per week stats. You can get year to date stats. You can get your bench stats. You can see what you left on the bench every week. You know, you, you can see everything, yeah. which is really amazing. You know, I love that part of it. And I, and I think too, too, with owners, if they're, they're a lot more conscious looking at their own league standings where, you know, in steals, they might find themselves, you know, maybe above average in their league. So maybe they think they're okay. But if you, talk, you know, if you compare them to where the teams atop the overall are, are performing, they're way, way, way down. So to me, I mean, that's what I do. I keep my eye on the overall, like at all costs, all, you know, every week we play, I'm always tracking that. And um, to me, the overall is primary and, and the league, if I win it, well, I mean, it's hard to win the overall and lose your league, I guess. But uh, yeah, Bobby, so Big much Bucks. yeah, well, oh, that's can right. You, can did you he, believe that happened, man? Did he come in second or no? Yeah, Bob, Bob Cramutola, who won yeah. the main event overall. Steve Weimer beat him in his league. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's Steve. probably never happened before, right? <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Yeah, yeah that's he, wild. he he won a main event overall, Andrew, and he and he hasn't won a main event league yet. That is crazy. Isn't that nuts? Like, I I really like. I know it happened and I think about it sometimes, but when I really pause to think about it, I'm like, that is so nuts. That is crazy. Yeah. That can't, that, that can't have happened before. Right. That's gotta be the first. No, not in the main yeah. event. I think maybe one time a while ago in draft champions, I think that's what I read. Okay. Um, but still like, and then even Steve too, right. Just 
in Steve Weimer's case, like he beat the overall winner. He was, I think, second overall. And it's like, oh, where did he finish in the overall? Steve, uh, Steve finished, um, I think, first or second. Um, oh, so he did. He did finish second. Yeah, he finished. So second. he beat Bob in his league and finished second. That's so the, ninety-two oh, wow. points. Ninety-two they were both points. In the, I didn't even realize they were both in the same. Okay, that's same league, man. That's same crazy. Freaking league. Yeah. And, and Steve also had a number six team too. He had two and six last year in the main. Yeah, he's um, a great player, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, but can you imagine that? Like no. both of them, like thinking both of their points of view. Like I, I didn't win my league, but I won the overall. And Steve did so well, beat the guy who won the overall. <laughs> that <laughs> so is crazy, man. That is crazy. It's 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 such a crazy stat. I think it'll never happen again. It's yeah. probably gonna happen now because we're talking about it. But it's, <laughs> still, uh, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, how do you how do you feel about multi eligibility players in twelve team leagues? And do you think it's like any different in twelve and fifteens? Uh, or do you treat them the same? No, I, I prefer them a little more in the fifteens. I think just because the replacement value is so much worse there. So if you could get a guy that. You know, he's getting at bats and multiple positions. I think it's just it's a better fit versus the twelves where you know you could you could find that replacement value so much. But at the same time in twelves, if you're hoarding pitchers, right? I don't mind having one or two bats on my bench, right? If you're playing multiple positions. Like it took LeMahieu last night. He's I think he's at three positions. So first, second, third, right? So you get a couple of those guys, right? You could then hoard another, you know, 10, 11 pitchers on your roster. Yeah, uh, and you still feel like you'll get those at bats if you need, you know, for weekend subins and whatnot. So, um, I definitely, uh, I don't target those guys, but they're definitely. I mean, if I see them, I definitely, I'll use it as a tiebreaker or you know, um, for sure. Yeah, if it, if it's if it's if it's a guy that you know, if they're that close to, together for me, I'll definitely take the guy that has more availability position wise. I I had like Wilmer Flores. He was he wasn't great, but there was weeks where I kept him on my team because he had like yeah. a decent schedule. And just like you said, you have a guy who covers first, second, third, and you and you like ah, you know what? I really don't want to drop this this decent pitcher, you know, because um, you could stash an extra guy, you an extra stash arm, an extra guy. Yeah. Just you know, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where they come most. And well, I took Harper last night in my OC, so I'm I'm already playing with one roster spot short for whatever two and a half months. However, he got he dropped so far though. I was uh, tweeting with Zach today. He fell to like 260 in my draft, and I'm like, you know, what if May comes around? All of a sudden, you see these blurbs come out. Bryce is feeling great. He's swinging at bat. You know, maybe he's there mid June. You know, I don't mind stashing. You got it's a first round caliber bat you're gonna have for half the season. Right. And at, and at that point, point I felt really good about my team. So I said, yeah. screw it. You know, I'm, you know, I don't mind playing, playing a man short. I know, you know, some people freak out over that and, you know, they don't want, they can't stash, you know, stash more than one guy at a time. But yeah, I just saw that. I'm like, you know what, if this team, if, if I need Bryce and, and, you know, this team is a, is, a, is a powerhouse and he comes into my lineup and end of June, early July, I mean, that's, that's a difference maker right there. Hell yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll get to your team in just a second. One more question about the like during during the season. Um, tell us your fab 
approach, your fab strategy. I know you've always talked about to like, don't be afraid to spend early and get your guides. If you feel like, I know you usually give the Julia Merriweather example. Yeah, that's my, that's my example. That's your go-to thing. <laughs> that's my go-to. No, but you know, I like your style of like, don't like, don't be afraid to spend it if you think it's going to help you. Right. Yeah. And, that's, that's essentially it, man. It's like, you know, these overalls are so top heavy, you know, you really, you're, you're aiming for that top prize. And to me, fab money like the majority of the fab money we spend uh, you know how much of it is wasted right end of the day i would probably say a high percentage of guys you spend fab on don't even produce or you know they don't they don't end up being difference makers i should say rather so if you see a guy out there that you think can be a difference maker whether it's a closer pitcher you know bat whatever and it's early on in the season for sure, I don't mind taking that big swing at that player. Um, again, especially too, more emphasis on if it's early in the season, like April, you know, even May, you're getting that player. If he is a difference maker, you're getting that player four or five months of the year. I mean, that can make a significant impact on your team. So uh, I have no qualms spending large amounts of, of fab early um, and, and just kind of managing it the rest of the season. You got to be a little more. Uh, sensitive on your buys as you move along and a little more uh, cautious rather. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it can be done, you know, I'm not saying drop $900 on a guy in May, but uh, if you see guys, you know, you want to go 40, 45% on even, even maybe a little more on bat and just to, to secure getting him. I'm all for that, man. I don't mind wasting $200 in fab if I get my guy. Absolutely. Yeah. I, <laughs> And like, I even, I even kind of um, have like a couple of things I'd like to implement this year in terms of, even if I really like a guy, right? I think my, my example would be like Vinny Pascantino last year. I loved him. And in every fab league, I went too high for him, I guess. I got him, but you know, I paid like overpaid in some leagues, but it also got me thinking like, how I should just try to like spread that out. Like maybe prioritize a team where I really need him more and make that the like $200 bid. And then maybe one where it's, it's just like a luxury ad, but it still would be nice. And maybe right. that one would right. be for 70, you know, like just get a little more smarter across the board, but, but I think I, you touched on something there, not to cut you off. See, I think a lot of, if you're in a good place in the tournament and you feel like you don't need a guy, you know, and you kind of drop that bid. See, to me, I, I I still want to bid pretty high on that player because we have a long season, right? Things happen. It's like you feel yeah. good one week, you know, fast forward three weeks later, you're sitting like oh, in your league. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, oh, why didn't I bid on him at that time? Because I felt good about my team. Well, you know, it, it, and, you know, baseball, fantasy baseball, the, the climate changes so much in your league, you know, in season. So, you know, even on my big teams, you know, really, especially on my big teams, if I see a difference maker, I'm I'm going just as large as I would, uh, you know, on a team in 11th or 12th place. Yep. yep. That's just Absolutely. my, no, my. No, no, that makes sense. I'm doing like more in the sense of just because like if the guy doesn't hit, I guess, per se, like, you know, if like Vinny P wasn't good at all, right, right. I would have been really screwed across all teams <laughs> rather than maybe take, you know, some like gotcha, yeah, risk yeah. on all the teams. But so let's talk about your OC last night. Is this your uh, second team of the year? Yeah, my second team. Yep. Yeah. Second team of the year. Um, So you started off here with uh, Tucker and this is from the four spot. No, this is from six. That was from six. Okay. So Tucker yep. fell to six. Um, Jordan, JTR, Josh Hader, Dylan Seeds is your first starter in round five. Adolis, Joe Musgrove, Sally P, 
Love the love the puck. I love the double catcher. I had this combo of catchers on my I think my 17th overall team in the OC last year. And it's just great. You don't have to worry about a damn thing all year. And that's the and, thing too, kind of what I was saying earlier. Is I'm not, I'm never really a, a two catcher guy, especially like in the top 10 rounds. Like I'll take an early one and kind of just wait it out, you know, for the you know, the end game or even, you know, into the teen rounds or whatever. But again, Perez, Sal, Sal, he came pick 91. I mean, to me, I was sitting there. I'm like, there's no way I could pass this up right now. And uh, so I took him. And, and I had two catchers and three outfielders in my top eight picks. So, you know, again, you just kind of got to adjust on the fly and be able to, 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 to take that value when it comes and just adjust and react from there. And I thought I was able to, to build a, a pretty nice unit uh overall even you know even still absolutely um i guess so what i was looking at your team and i was actually maybe a little surprised at though is like how many closers you took you know you took, <laughs> you took four i mean i mean especially after getting a guy like hater um and then you followed up with that later with alex lang dylan floro and craig kimball and craig kimball was late um well, that's the thing i wasn't planning on kimball at all but i mean Round twenty eight, and he's. I mean, if he gives me ten saves, that's that's a money pick right there. I mean, he probably starts the year as the closer, is my guess, until he face plans and they throw one of these other guys in there. But yeah, I didn't intend on taking four, but at that point, it's like, and and my two, my second and third one are pretty dicey guys. So, I, you know, sometimes I'll do that if I feel like you know I'm a little dicey at the closer position. I'll, I'll grab you know a third or fourth spec guy just to, you know, roll the dice on. Even if they kind of just start off the year as the closer, maybe not really, you know, keep it, but at least just starting off with right. uh, a bunch of closers. Yeah, I just didn't know if, like, it was um, worth, like, you know, just striking one of those guys for another position player, you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I thought about it. It's just, you know, Alex Lang, you know, I think he's the guy, right? Um, but he could um, easily be, the, you know, not the guy. <laughs> So, I'm not so sure on Alex Lang. Like, yeah, I I, I just you're... like, and it's nothing against him himself. I just don't like, I don't like that cost for him right now. I think it got a little too, it got a little too wild. Um, who, on else him. Is, who else is closing in, in Detroit though? Who, I mean, he's the guy, isn't he? I mean, I talked about this. They usually go with the set closer there, right? They I, wrote Stoto. Uh, I mean, well, not really. I mean, Hinch two years ago, like, never really announced who he was doing to, and they didn't really always go to Soto, right? Um, I don't know. I, I just, it, it's, I it's don't think, yeah, no, it's definitely a gamble. I just think that it's too, a, too rich of a pick to be a gamble that I'm going to take. I could totally see why people are doing it. Um, well, look at the closers that's going around them right now, right? You have Carlos Estevez. Floro, Finnegan. I mean, these guys all stink. We're on, we're on bad teams, right? So yeah, he's going in a range where a lot of these guys are also big time question marks. But I, I get your point. Yeah, twenty twenty one. Soto had eighteen saves, and Fulmer had fourteen saves, and that was when Hinch really didn't say. Yeah, Good point. Yeah, yeah, and then and then last year he said it right before the draft season. He actually early in the draft season, and he's our closer, and no one kind of like really believed him, and he was right. the closer. And then this yeah. year he just came out with that quote that says, "Someone will close games for us." And I, I was saw like, that. Oh, yeah, God. he backed to this game, but um, 
I just like, you know, I, I think I would say Alex Lang throws almost 41% of his balls for balls, you know, and that's the only, the only pitchers who, there was no pitchers who had 10 or more saves who threw 40, 40 that's a good stat. percent of their balls or balls. And there was only, I think, six who had more than six. And it was like Chapman, Corey Knabel, um, I've got the exact list I have it written down somewhere, but it wasn't, it wasn't a list that I was really like, oh, and I'm not like, I don't think like Jason Foley, it doesn't look like a closer. If you look at the last, you know, such and such, you know, stretch of his month, um, it doesn't really look phenomenal because he's not a strikeout guy, but on, it's crazy. Like I was just doing a deep dive on him and on August 19th, he started throwing his slider with like 10% more horizontal break. So 10% more sweep. And he started striking out guys with that slider. Like he struck out five guys on the slider after August 19th and only five before that. He's not, I don't think he's going to be the closer, but I just think it, he couldn't be enough of a threat that just Lang. And there's also this possibility that like, what if Michael Fulmer is still out there, right? What if they bring him back? Like, and they know him already, like, and what he could do. I don't know. It's just, I just think of that, like, ADP, especially in draft champions. Like, I would, fine, in the OC, you just dump him if he's not, not, him. not yeah, the exactly. guy, right? Yeah. But in draft champions, like, to me, if you're picking Alex Lang at 180, that's exactly that's why right. I would take Kenley Jansen at pick 80 or 90. Or, right, right, or, right. Or Dovall at 80 or 90 or or Holmes at 110, like just go, I just prefer going that route. Than, no, that makes sense. hundred percent. I agree with you there yeah. too. DC is a, is a different animal there where, you know, you're stuck with, a, you know, a middle reliever, you know, at pick 180 for the whole season. If he's not that guy. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so getting back to your staff. Um, so you got Cease, Musgrove, Robbie Ray. He took a little shot on Giolito, um, Kodai Senga, Lance McCullers, Jr. Uh, Tyler Anderson, Maeda, uh, Kimbrough and Tanner Houck. Um, I guess what what are you what are you hoping for with Giolito and Maeda? Um, do yeah. you kind of like those guys or like, I do. You, yeah, yeah. I just what? like well, Giolito. I think for where he's going in, in the draft right now, I mean the, the K upside's still there. And yeah, I know he was terrible last year, but to me, that's guy. This he's a guy that could bounce back. Still, he's still fairly young. How how old is Giolito right now? He's still fairly young, right? I think he's gonna be twenty eight or he's twenty seven now. Yeah, um, I just think for that part of the draft, I'm happy taking a swing on a guy with that kind of upside. I think we're gonna know fairly early if he's still like broken <clears throat> like he was last year. So. Um, and I think too, not going too heavy early pitching in this one. I wanted to get that nice K upside, that that base of K's, I should say. Um, that's why I went. So Cease Musgrove, you know, doesn't bring a lot of K's. What is he like? You know, a K per nine kind of guy. And then Ray was was I thought get a nice boost of K's. Um, and then Giolito. So I think if you're not going early pitching and you're still able to to nab some of these big high upside K guys. That's what I kind of target. If I'm not already taking them in the, you know, second, third round of these drafts. I give him uh, the benefit of the doubt. He, he went in the IL on April 12th, like fairly early with a strained left oblique. Um, I don't and it was know, terrible just, all year. Yeah. yeah. He missed two weeks. He came back. He had COVID. I think he had something on his finger too. Cause I listened to the Chris Rose pod. Um, and he has on players, which it's why I listen to it. Cause I really love just listening to hear, how players like and you know, go through 
the season and and G Lito's on a lot and he's like, Yeah, you know, I hurt I hurt my finger like I hurt my finger, I hurt my hand or um and I don't know. It, it was just a little nugget. And I just think that there's enough there to hinge on some promise at this at this spot one yeah, and he was still yeah he was still striking out the guys i'm looking at at his baseball reference right now i mean he was still striking out guys at the same rate as the year prior so i mean yeah it's, it's uh but low. For, yeah yeah i mean for at that point of the draft to me that's kind of where it makes sense if you are light on k's early you know giolito sal lazardo those big arms you know they have risk innings risk for sure um, but there's there's ways to catch up in, in strikeouts, you know, if you target some of these guys. What is your plan for Tanner Houck? Or, like, what do you envision him bringing? You think he's going to be, like, a hybrid guy and you can throw him in there for, like, maybe, a, um, you know, some, like, vultured wind? Or you think he's in the pen? Like, how, how do you how do you think the, I guess, the Red Sox are going to use him and how do you plan to implement him? Well, I've read they're, they're trying to make him a starter, right? I mean, that's that's the the hope whether that comes to fruition, I guess is, is anyone's guess, but um, yeah, I mean, the guy's got great stuff, you know, it's, I know he's coming off the injury. Uh, so I guess we'll see how he looks, you know, in the spring, but to me, that's a guy that can move up five or six rounds, you know, easily in March, you know, then February 2nd, where everyone's still, you know, watching TV on their couches. Right. So. Right. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I like, you know, they, Right now they have Sal Kluber, Pavetta, they have Paxton slated and then Whitlock, but all it takes is an early Paxton uh, injury to really, you know. I was going to say, that's like the scariest list of injury risk staff yeah. I've ever seen. And they also have Cutter Crawford, too, who wasn't that bad as a starter yeah. at a certain point of the year last year. So, I like him in DC, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, it's just it, it's just interesting because – I wonder how they're going to utilize him, you know, um, how it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see him and Whitlock can both, you know, be such um, wild cards, you know. I mean, if he's a fireman even, or if he's pitching two or three of those, like, elite innings, I mean, that's a guy that could help you out, too. I know a lot of people either like the closer or they like the starter, but if you get a guy, like, that's that elite and can give you some racial relief, you know, you could, you know, throw him in there, spot start him a week here, a week there. Um, so... I'm not totally against those guys. You know, I don't prefer starting them, but, you know, if they're that, you know, good at pitchers, I don't mind. And they get the occasional save here and there or win, you know what I mean? So it's not like they're giving you nothing there. But, uh, yeah, you know, if they have good stuff, you know, I'm willing to take a chance on them. So looking at some early ADP, does anything stand out to you? And, like, is any pockets of um... – you know, positions that seem maybe mis misguided or misvalued. I know we mentioned how the starters are a little different this year um, so far, but I was just wondering if you came anything that yeah. you say like, oh, it looks a little off. It's interesting, man. Like, I don't remember a fantasy year with like third base and first base where like these pockets are like so defined in these drafts, right? They're the tier, the teardrops, I should say. It's like, you know, first base, once you miss out on Olsen, you know, you don't really draft another one for the next, you know, four or five rounds. Third base, you know, is, even, you know, Riley, right, is, is round two he goes, and then it's Bregman on his own island, like four rounds later. And then everybody waits, like, for, or Gunnar Henderson's around there too. But, and then everybody waits, like, five rounds to pick another one. So it's, like, it such a, like, steep cliff in these teardrops where – you know, in past years, I feel like these tiers were a lot closer together than they are this year. Um, 
So it puts an interesting dynamic, I think, in these drafts where if you miss out on both, you know, both those positions, you're like, oh, shit. Uh, and that's even this draft last night, I, you know, I had to kind of, you know, find options later on in drafts that just wouldn't kill me because I missed out on the elite guys in both those spots. So uh, it can be done. It's just, uh, you know, you kind of you are playing with a little fire, I feel like, if you sleep on those two positions, both, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's super. Um, it's like you said, they're very distinct gaps and they're very distinct. This is where it ends, and this is where it starts up again. And pretty much in every draft I've done too, it's it sticks to the script. Pretty much, no one's reaching because I think no one's reaching on Ejuanio Suarez, where you know he's the next third baseman. You know he's going at pick one fifty compared to the Gunnar Henderson at one hundred and one. Um, like you're, no one's reaching for him. If anything, I see some people like reach for Matt Chapman, um, because I mean yeah. even then, like you know, I don't. Jose Miranda's not really, you know, ideal. I think in a twelve, you know, like a twelve team league. I don't think he's bringing what you need. Um, and dude, outfielder. Out, that's to me. That's probably what stood out the most so far in drafting these teams early. Dude, outfielders is probably the weakest like I ever recall in fantasy baseball. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm like not opposed to taking two, three early ones in, in all these drafts. I just think it's. You get to a certain point. I mean, you're you're starting like really weak options in, in your outfielder four and five, and I know it's you know usually weak. You know your fifth outfielder even, but to me it just feels like it's very top heavy. In, you know in the outfield, and and then you're looking at guys even in like the middle rounds that have huge question marks in the outfield. So uh, yeah, I don't mind going out. You know, heavy outfielder early, which is usually not my style, but I feel like there's definitely. Um, more value in those upper echelon outfielders this year, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I've seen some builds that are just, yeah, first three picks are in DCs are just outfielders, you know. Um, although I do think, like, in a draft champion, too, uh, the more I've done and the more I've looked at ADP, I keep finding some later nuggets that I, that I kind of like. And there are guys that are available. I just, just think they're not – there's not a majority of overwhelming – um, options, you know. Yeah, I mean, you'll find five guys, especially in the twelve team. You're going to find five starting now. Maybe you know, fifteens in the mains are going to get dicey for you for sure. If you sleep on outfield, that's I would not suggest doing that. But um, yeah, maybe uh, it's the, the amount of appealing options in the outfield are, are less than in years past. Is probably a better way to say it. But that's just one trend I've noticed where you know I'm definitely. I definitely don't mind taking two, even three outfielders pretty early on. Um, Let me ask you about a specific outfielder. He's on our New York Mets. What's your thoughts on where Stalling Marte is going at ADP 80? You know, normally just a guy who's going a lot earlier in drafts, his profile hasn't changed that much. You know, obviously he didn't steal the 40 bags he stole two years ago, but he's still very good on the base path. Uh, You know, maybe if you think he's going to benefit from this, the new rules too, but he's just always been a staple at the top of our drafts. And I don't, I don't think he's changed so much that he's, right. you know, dropped, but yet sometimes I still um, haven't really pulled the trigger 
on him there, but it's mostly because of like, oh, like I need, I need a, I need an SP two here, that kind of thing. But yeah, he falls um, right in that range, right? Where he falls right in that range with the Musgrove, then the Glass, now then the Darvish. You know, if you need to go that, and and a lot of that last tier closer to the Helsley, Jansen, Doval. You know, so if you didn't, if you want those guys too, you're not going to Marte. But what are your thoughts on him this year? Oh, I love him as a player and, and then fantasy player also. I mean, I think it's all health, right, with him. It's like, you know, you know you're not getting 150 games uh, from Starlin, but like a per-game basis, I mean, when he's out there playing, I mean, he's easily at like a, a top 25, 30 outfielder in fantasy for sure. Uh, and you are finally getting that discount on him this year. So, I mean, to me, that's definitely – his price is pretty appealing. So, uh, I haven't gotten him yet either. Actually, no, I might have one share. Because, uh, like you said, uh, you know he falls in that range with those SP2s and, and those closers, so he kind of gets lost in the mix there. But yeah, if you're getting him in the 80s and 90s in some of these drafts, I mean, for sure, that's a guy uh, I really like. Um, you know, he's a five category guy, right? When he's out there, it's just let's get him out there and keep him healthy, and that's all it is. You know, uh, he's yeah. fun to watch too, man. He's he's real fun to watch. I love watching him. He he's he's and too like. You could just see how much he work he puts into his body. Like oh, man. in the postseason, the dude is huge. Jack, and man. Yeah. I was like, wow, this guy. I didn't realize that when he was, you know, floating around these other teams. Neither he's, did I. He's huge. Neither did I. His his <laughs> traps are his traps are in his ears. You know, yeah. he's just he's 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 well put together. I I I love it too. Um Jeff Zimmerman just did a, a pretty cool piece on fan graphs about how like lining uh lineup order affects stolen base opportunities and and attempts and the sixth spot is such an interesting spot that's actually a surprising per plate appearance spot that guys are taking off from and that's is like you know i seen the early lineup of the mets and i know we love mcneil batting second and that puts Marte six and right. I, at first i was like oh i get it you know but i still want his speed up top but then i saw that and i was like huh maybe that's kind of like awesome too he's kind of like the second table setter in the lineup you know he gets on and he steals for the guys in the bottom half of the lineup you know to move him over i don't know where would you i guess who do you like batting second is it is it Marte or do you move everyone up do you move Lindor up to two and you know Alonzo to three or do you like McNeil up top he's got that old school like yeah. like you know that old school 80s guy or, or that Derek Jeter right he's yeah. just gonna hit the ball wherever he needs to to move the guys over I saw roster resource and what's your, what's the guy's name that does that? I wanted to point him out because I heard you. Jason say, Martinez. Yeah, there you go. Props yeah. to Jason there. Yeah, yeah. Props to Jason, but, man. He puts a lot of work into that stuff. Dude, yeah, a lot. And I'm, and I'm on there a lot. And he, he has McNeil batting fifth in that lineup. That's to me, interesting too. Yep. Yeah. So I, there's just a lot. I think it's going to change the lineup a lot. You can move these guys up and down a lot. But yeah. That's 120 ribbies if he bats fifth. I was just going to say, McNeil, McNeil stays in. in the five hole, he's going like, you know, 80 picks too low in these drafts, right? <laughs> I mean, take some, you know, add some power, take some of his batting average away. You could, you know, he could go 100 RBIs. You know what I mean? But uh, he's, he's got an interesting split too in 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 leagues, and I I just kind of didn't know where it came from. Like he he goes he's 20, guy like man. he's going he, too low when he's trying. I know that the power output. What do he hit like seven or eight homers last year? But he's got power in him. You know what I mean? Yeah, he just sells out some, and he 
if he hit 15 homers, I wouldn't shock anybody. He hit 20, what, 22, 23 a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah, the power is there. The fumble error. And plus yeah, he's got yeah. that new bat, the new approach. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he he's I think he could do it if he wants to, you know. He's he's right. skilled enough as a hitter, but I but if he's, he's hitting out of the five hole, you know, maybe he does decide, you know, to take, you know, some some more aggressive you know, acts, more aggressive, yeah. yeah. Take away from from the contact and swing from you know. Driving he's going runs. he's going 176 in ocs and 200 in dcs yeah i mean that's pretty you, know, you know that is yeah so he's yeah. going more he's going higher in a in a smaller team league with fab um i don't know if that's just a small sample of online there's you know there's only whatever 11 online championships in the in yeah the, in the docket um so I don't Honestly, know people see the, the home run total and, you know, they're just scared off by what, seven, eight homers he hit last year. So I get why he's falling, but, you know, that that's a big game changer, man. If he's hitting in the middle of this lineup, I mean, you sure. know, it's uh, it's going to change his draft position, I feel like, come March for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also, some other, like, random takeaways I had from that, like, so Oscar Colas, he was the highest guy. And this is not including your draft last night. I did this before uh, your draft. Um, but Oscar Colas of the White Sox is the biggest different split between OC and DC. It's a 37% difference in his um, picks. He's, OC is going at 267 and DC is 366. So I guess it's just, just a case of like, Hey, if it doesn't work in Fab, I drop him, and then teams right. are hesitant in Fab because I mean, for a draft champion, because you don't know what you have of him. I guess that yeah, I think yeah, and then, yeah, kind of also, which I was going to talk to before was like you could be definitely more riskier in the OC in the twelve teams mm -hmm. than you, than you would be in the main event or even at DC. So uh, you do have a little more leeway in that in that regard. So I, I get I can understand owners taking chances on guys they wouldn't normally take. In like a main event per se. Yep, and Eli, um, Eloy, his his teammate is the next highest guy. He's going twenty three picks higher, and OC's uh sixty five compared to the eighty eight in DCs. What's your thoughts on Eloy this year? I mean, I like Eloy every year, and uh, I feel <laughs> like I draft him every year. But it's <laughs> it's like, can he stay healthy? Right? It's always these yeah. like freak injuries with him. It's just give me one healthy Eloy season. That's all I want. I don't, you know. I'll take 140 games and just cross my fingers. I mean, he's going to produce for sure. It's just, again, kind of similar to Marte. It's like, you know, you're getting production, but it's just how many games is he going to last? I've, lo I've looked his way more this year than ever, actually. Um, you like him? Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I mean, I like the skills. I like what he showed down the stretch. He really turned it on. It's just, I, I thought there was just going to be a DH only. Now they're like, you know, he's mentioning things about the outfield and he kind of just doesn't want to pigeon himself into DH, but I don't know. Just 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 stick the man in bubble wrap and just let him hit, you know? Him and Robert. Just like maybe they can like apply for a dual DH thing. Um, those guys just need to swing and, and, and not do anything else. <laughs> so he he played his first year in twenty nineteen, he played hundred and twenty two games, which is not bad, right? Did he start the year on the on the big I don't I don't recall. Um, I don't think so. I think he came up maybe like early, like in Mayish. Okay, that's what I could recall. Uh, I don't have that. So the COVID the year, COVID year, he played fifty-five games, so he lasted. But again, you know, it's the COVID year, um, and then fifty-five and eighty-four in the last two years. So, I mean, yeah, 
it tough, is right it's, it's yeah if he stays healthy you're getting you know a legit probably 280 290 hitter 30 plus homers 100 rbi i mean you're getting a great player it's just yep and he stayed second, there second half of the year he had a home run and um for every 18 plate appearances he he had 323 in his final uh 223 at bats, 14 jacks, um, you know, 40 ribbies. That's a great stat line. His Woba was uh, over 400. Mm. Uh, and his K percentage went down from first half 31% to second half 19 and a half. So it just seemed like he was becoming more of the guy, you know, that we kind of want, you know. And uh, like I said, like I, I've, it's tough. It's, it's, it, it's not easy to take on like a risk like that, a profile risk like that, but he can also be the guy that, you know, this could be that year. All you need is for him to have that one year. And like you said, it doesn't have to be 160 games, but if you give him that per plate appearance rate, you know, hitting a home run every 18 plate appearances, you know, you, you get to 500, 550, and that's just a, a solid player at pick 80. I like that White Sox lineup too, man. I'm looking at it right now. I mean, it's a lot of health risk guys on there, but <laughs> I mean, there's, they could be sneaky good, offensively at least. And Vaughn, I'm a big fan of this year also. I like that price a lot. I think uh, he might be one of my guys. Oh, he already is. He's on a bunch of my teams. But um, La Russa's gone. I feel like you're not going to mess with this guy's head. Put him at first base, right? Just put him out there every day. You don't have to worry about sitting against, right? Like, he, you know, he'd play well, you know, and then La Russa would sit him the next game because it was a righty on the mound. It's like, dude, yep. let this guy get some momentum. Like, he's a young kid, huge pedigree. So, to me, th those are the guys I love, you know, with, with those big pedigrees and coming off kind of a disappointing year. I could see him doing big things this year. I, yeah, I said it on James Anderson podcast yesterday on Rotowire that it's probably the, the most super lazy analysis that I'll make is that, yeah, I believe that with Larusa out of there, a lot of these guys will shine through a little bit i mean there's just a lot to be had for this in this generation in this time of the world like people people need to be themselves and they need to be like be able to be whatever they want to do creative through music or dance or how they talk and you know it you have to accommodate that and that's why i think buck show walter did so good because he he just like he has that he understands what it's going to take to get out of a player. And it's not just what I can do. What can he do physically for, for me? He gets people in the right emotional states. Right. I mean, just to hear Lindor talk about it too, you could really see how much of an impact Buck made because he understands in this same approach with the analytics, right? He likes it. And, and he, he embraces both. He embraces the old school approach, but then he knows when to incorporate those right analytics. Like wasn't afraid how used Diaz in the eighth facing the heart of the lineup, like something he said he would have never done, but it makes sense, you know? So I just, it's um, with Buck too, because that was his, uh, his MO was like the opposite when he was coaching yeah. and managing the Orioles. I mean, he was, that's kind of what drove him out of there is that he wasn't really relating to the younger guys. And, you know, he was kind of this old school manager and, yeah, he kind of did a 180 on this Mets team, and he's kind of yeah. he realized, you know, he had to change his ways kind of to to adapt to to today's player. So yep, and yeah, I think no, that's what's cool going to happen with the White Sox. Yeah, yep. I think Vaughn, yeah. I mean Vaughn, I mean the dude was supposed to hit, you know, he's a bat, you know, first bat, um, 
was he number one overall or number two? Not number one. Definitely two or three overall in whatever draft. Bourne was uh, third overall. Third? Yeah, still, still this is a prime, and he and he just one of those guys who just do, like dominated college, you know. And he was just like such a slugger. You kind of saw that he was just going to be a professional. They can't miss you know? that. Yeah, and yeah. even even last year he went what two seventy one seventeen seventy six. You would think he was like a bummer. I mean, that's not bad. Your second year, you know, playing pro ball. I mean, if this guy went, you know, 280, 25 homers, 100. I mean, that would not surprise me at least. Um, yep, 25 so, I mean, years old. I think yeah, his price is, something, you know, I'm getting behind that for sure. Nice. I like that. I like and that. he's got dual, you know, he's first base and outfield too, which, you know, that's a little boost to his value also. Yep. Um, absolutely, man. Um, so what else catches your eye here in – and like um in terms of roster construction, um, like are there any other pockets that you like with closers and like shortstops, I guess is what else I'm looking at. And like, do you like the Bednar Holmes kind of range or are you just going above and below that? obviously yeah. your team last night you kind of went above and below it. And also, how are you like attacking shortstops? Because there's plenty of options this year. Yeah, uh you nailed it, man. I, I'm I don't like that middle tier of closers with the uh, Holmes. Um well, I'll just taking her out of here. Uh, yeah, you got Holmes. You got, um, like I said, uh, what's his name? Ben Barlow. Any, any of those middle tier guys. Yeah, I'd rather take an elite, like surefire one in those top three, four rounds, and then take a bunch of spec guys in the, like the early teens, you know, um, take two or three of those guys after I take my first surefire closer. But shortstop, man, I, I mean – that's probably my favorite position so far in these drafts. It's like, it's really hard to get shut out at, at shortstop to me. And it's so, it's so deep that position. I mean, it's just filled with guys that are like huge. That could be huge five category studs and you could get them in round seven, eight, nine. I mean, Jeremy Pena is going round nine, 10 in these drafts. I mean, that's a guy I could get behind for sure. Um, you got Tim Anderson, you know, who's, you know, he wasn't long ago when he was a, a second, third round pick in his draft. So he's fallen to those middle rounds or, uh, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of options. Um, maybe it's a little top heavy at the top, but we're unlike short, uh, first, first base and third base. There's a lot of options in the middle tier that you could, you know, pick out of. So it's going to be hard getting shut out of that position. I feel like in drafts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I think you mentioned a guy who's been a little bit polarizing to me this year in, in Tim Anderson. He's, I mean, it's it's at a spot where it's really juicy, you know, picked 94. Um, and like you said, it's not long removed from really productive early round type of production. So, and there are other... I don't know if he is just falling because of the love for some of the other guys around them, like the Swansons and the Willie Adames and Wander Franco, but you know, um, good average speed, a little bit of power. Hey, little man's in there. Oh, the Frenchie, right? Oh yeah. Hey, Bob, what's his name? Is it he or she? Oh, she gets, she gets that a lot. Yeah. She's Roxy's her name. Hi, Roxy. Yeah, we get just the dog involved. She's still a puppy, man. Oh, she's still a pup? Yeah, just turn one. 
Oh, hi. She's oh, look at her. She's like, Dad, are you done with this shit yet? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Like, get done with this. It's time to, yeah, it's time to get like, on the couch. You're, you're talking Jeremy Payne. I gotta take a piss. Can you, can you open the door? <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about value in the eleventh round of an OC? Yeah, yeah. What about me? That's the way my dogs do it too, man. They give me a look. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, especially like, you know, when we're doing a fab or whatever, and they just like staring at me like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, like, nobody gives a shit about you. Yeah, you <laughs> oh, man, absolutely. All right. So let's get you out of here. Let's just go through a couple of quick things. I just wanted to see who you like in a couple of different ranges of ADP. Um, It's going to starting pitching range from 150 to 200. Uh, Jeffrey Springs, Pablo Lopez, Rasmussen, Senga, Grayson Rodriguez, Singer. Both Grays um, and Andrew Heaney. Who do you who like the best out of this group right here? Oh man, I'd probably go with Senga to be honest, just because. Ooh, I love the your love for Senga here. This yeah, is great. I don't know. I, I got a good feeling about him this year. Uh, you know, love the park, love the love the team context. You know what I mean? It's. Um, I know the guys coming overseas; they can struggle early on. They you know it takes time for them to adapt and whatnot, but. I don't know. I got a good feeling about him. I think he's going to, you know, he might not like the world on fire, but I could see him, you know, mid three ERAs, you know, decent Ks and the wind should be there. So, um, yeah, I like him. I would definitely take a shot at him over those other guys. Nice. I like that. Yeah. This is, it's an interesting bunch right here. I, I'm, I haven't gotten any singer yet, so I, I guess I'm more of like, I'm just unsure of what he can be. I, de yeah. I, I definitely like, the ballpark, the team, all that definitely makes sense. I guess I'm just um I'm usually clicking on Rasmussen or Singer or the Grays or Heaney. Um, yeah, but you, you kind of know what you're getting with these guys, right? That's why yeah. I like I like the uh, and a fab league that might change. My mind might change in a fab league. Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm I'm stuck in that draft champions mode, and um, but that might change because you're right. The upside could be huge. Like if he could if be. if he if he's a sensation. You know, and and he's going at one eighty, one seventy right. could be tremendous, Huge, tremendous right, value. Exactly. That's my yeah. thinking, man. It's like, yep. you know, I think the downside is probably I can't imagine he's you know, he's just bad, right? I don't know. To me, he's either I don't know. To me, he's either like elite or he's like you know a high threes ERA guy with a one two whip, decent Ks. I, I don't see. Uh, a really low floor with the guy, I guess. And I see a lot of upside. So I like his, I like his, his spot. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. One more outfielders, 150 to 165. You got Ian Happ, Harrison Bader, Oscar Gonzalez, and our boy, Brendan Nimmo. Who are you taking here? I heard you talking Oscar Gonzalez too. I, I took a minute in this draft also. I was going to ask you your thought. I mean, it's, the power is suspect, right, on him? But you're getting yeah. a pretty good average. He's hit at every level, right? So, and he, he should play every day, right? He should start off with full time PTA. I I agree. Yeah, it's just the ground ball profile, and and it's just his, you know, like if if that power doesn't come through, yeah. The, I mean, I love his contact skills. He definitely hits the ball with some authority. Got just that little bit of that Vlad Junior in him, where he's putting it on the ground a lot. But um, I mean that could change. You know, he pulled the ball a little more in the air, and we're talking a whole bunch of more power for sure. It's just yeah, um, his his range feels like it's pretty wide. It's, it is, yeah. yeah. Especially with that hit tool, like it's good. Like, but like if he's just gonna be an average guy with fifteen homers, eighteen homers, like you know, I don't know. Um, 
So I'm 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 usually, you know, I have like I have a little bit of everyone in this range here, except for Bader, who's the only one I haven't drafted yet. I, I, I have some Hap. I think there hasn't been a season where I didn't like Ian Hap. <laughs> you know, uh, he's just he's just always a guy like I fall into. Um, and Nimmo, you know, I know the price rose a little bit, and I guess there's some people who are definitely wary of when that happens. You know, he stayed healthy for his first season, and you know he did that through volume. But um, it doesn't mean I like Han- per- Hanniger. I like a lot. He's going in that same range. Okay. Oh, interesting. So you like Hanniger too? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I think uh, another guy too. I think it's just one of these guys. If he could stay on the field, I mean, the power is. I mean, he's still going to play there in San Fran. I think. I think he should be fine there. He's going to hit what third, fourth in that lineup. Um, you know, that late in a draft, I feel like the upside is pretty nice for that price. Nice. So, yeah, I've been All grabbing right. Mitch Hanniger. You know, as my outfielder four in a lot of spots. All right. Big old Mitch. All right. Let's close this out with this new segment. I'm going to try to do in every pod, the made for fade section. So you tell me your biggest fade right now, according to ADP, just, just one guy who you're like, no way, not doing it no matter what. Looking at, I'm looking at, yeah. I'd probably say Devers. Devers. Mm, interesting. Oh, I, this is good. I like it. Yeah, or even Riley, to be honest. I mean, to me, if you're taking, you know, Jose Ramirez or Witt, you're getting, you know, the huge speed. I just feel like even Machado, right? It's, I just feel like those guys going directly after Machado, you're paying for, you know, you're not getting any steals at all. And for me, I just can't take a guy, whether that it's a scarce position or not, I don't feel comfortable taking no speed in the second round of a draft, right? You know, unless you're, you know, Pete Alonso are going to hit 50 homers or something. It's a little different story. But, uh, yeah, uh, if I don't get uh, Jay Ram and, and Bobby Witt or Machado even, I'm most likely fading both those guys in a second. And I'll wait. I'll wait for that Bregman Island or, you know, I'll settle for the Matt Chapmans of the world 10 rounds later. So, um, yeah, I just, I just like that five category juice early, early on. And, uh, if I don't get it, I'm usually fading them. I like it. I like it. There you go. Nice hard fade right there. Awesome. Andrew, this was great. Um, what's your plans for this season? What kind of leagues you're getting into? Like how many OCs, how many mains, what are you doing this year? All right. So I have, I'm in three mains right now. I'm doing one in Vegas. You'll be out there, right? Yep. In Vegas. Yep. Um, right now I'm probably doing around four or five OCs, but at this rate, I might do like 30 if I keep drafting. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling myself, you know, I just want to do the same volume as I did, you know, the last year and whatever the years prior, but, um, I just, I'm seeing a lot of stuff I like in these drafts. So I keep them like itching sitting there. I'm like, it's, it's eight out of 12 filled nine out of 12. Oh, fuck it. I'm in. And then yeah. uh, next thing you know, I got 48 fab leagues. Um, but no, I'll, I'll sprinkle in some of the best balls. I got DCs. I've done about four or five already. Might do like four or five more of those. Um, but fab leagues, I'm, I'm trying not to go too overboard. Okay. Yeah, no, Football that's good. Is, because, yeah. I mean, then you just get to concentrate more on the team, you know, like on, instead of not spreading out as much effort into each team, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, man. Like, uh, fab. And, and, 
Yeah. And you can easily fall into that trap when you win an overall because you're like, oh, I could do how many ever leagues I want. But right, at right, the same right. time, you're not going to just throw out a whole bunch of teams just because just because like you still want to give that attention. Yeah, for me, it's too many. There's a point of like diminishing returns, right, where, you know, I got a job, kids. It's like I can't devote too much time into crazy amount of teams as much as I'd want to. It's just I can't do it. Um, so rather, I'd rather just focus on, you know, the handful of teams I have and put all my effort into those teams and, and try to just spread it out, you know, make my, you know, spread it out so thin. So, yeah. Nice. Awesome, man. It was good talking to you. And, um, do you want anyone to find you on Twitter or not? Uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter actually. <laughs> well, you can uh, find Andrew on Twitter if you want. It's, uh, the underscore guilds. G-I-L-D-Z. And if you're wondering which one it is, it's Danny Dimes on the New York Giants as his pitcher. Uh, but it's been a pleasure as always, Andrew. And um, good luck this year again. I'm anticipating seeing you in the top of the standings once again, uh, for sure, and putting and putting people's hearts uh, into a wrench on Twitter because that's, that's always fun. I appreciate that, Ryan. And before I go, man, I just want to congratulate you two on the new uh, pod venture you're going to be starting up. Um, or not starting up, uh, hosting the launch angle. Uh, you definitely deserve everything coming to you, man. And I appreciate the work you put in. So uh, I'll be listening to that as well and looking forward to it. Thanks, brother. I appreciate those words, man. See, Andrew Geller is a good dude, man. That's See, it, man. that's it. Don't let those uh, those few bad things. You. you know what I mean? <laughs> All good, man. Thank you so much, buddy. I'll talk right, to you, you soon. Too, man. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Thank yep. you for everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. All the reviews and the ratings have been pumping in lately. Super, super grateful for everyone who makes this a possibility for me. And the love and the feedback is super, super great. And I'm just going to keep it coming. I'm just going to, you know, just keep going. And we're going to try to make this the most successful fantasy baseball season for everyone out there. And we're going to keep having great guests, wonderful NFBC players, wonderful analysts in the fantasy baseball sphere. And just keep keep listening for and keep checking my Twitter. You know, we're going to be rolling out, again, the Launch Angle podcast with Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver. It's going to be on the original feed. And... Anyone who's subbed to that will still get the new episodes when they appear. And we're also, um, I'm also going to be starting a Patreon um, probably next month or maybe the end of February. Um, and we're going to have so much stuff for there for you guys to succeed in fantasy baseball this year. And um, it's just going to be a whole bunch of wonderful tools, worksheets, podcasts. Just a dynamic resource for you to um, improve your game in season. Everything that I do during the season, I'm going to relay it to you guys. And that's it's going to be great. So I hope um, everyone who's supported the show will support me in that venture too. And I promise not to let anyone down. I think everyone knows my work ethic and I'm going to give it my all to make sure that you guys are just... Uh, got the best stuff available i know there's a whole bunch of tools out there already um wonderful websites that everyone is subscribed to already but i think i'm gonna have a great little edge and um be doing a lot of things that no one has touched on yet and 
again, just implementing specific ways for you to go about who you fab and who you put in your starting lineup. Again, you know, I think we all we cover it. it it's player evaluation is a huge part of it, but it's also knowing how to construct that team to put together that right balance of stats for you to win your leagues. And it's not just going to be NFBC focused either. It's going to be dynasty talk, keeper league talk, daily league pods, streaming pod every day, you know, three bats and a couple of arms probably. We'll see. Maybe even more. Who knows? Um, but I'm just going to bring you as much content that I can give to you guys. And I think it's going to be well worth it for anyone who wants to come for the ride and join the Meatball Mafia. That is going to be the pull hitter Patreon. So um, with that being said, keep doing your thing, everybody. Get ready for this fantasy baseball season. Baseball season's coming up. Spring training's around the corner. So um, let's not be a bag of shit and get ready. Let's get hot. Smarten up.